People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. And we're glad you join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to hear our take as three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. We're excited to continue spreading the message that promotes critical thinking and thoughtful conversations, advocating for social activism, and uplifting people everywhere. We're also inviting you to join us as we continue the work of encouraging and educating everyone with the edifying task of identifying, endorsing, and inspiring new and existing black businesses and individuals for the empowerment and prosperity of our community. Send your comments, questions, and suggestions, and follow us on Facebook, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at The Brothers Talk, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and you can email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for details about our YouTube channel, our upcoming book, and tour dates. And now on with this week's program. Hey, big hello and welcome in once again around the world, Brothers Talk family. As we say, welcome to all of our first-time listeners, wherever you're listening in. So good to have you with us in the battle to promote critical thinking and social justice activism. On to your weekly coronavirus alert, because we care. Family, we literally can't make this stuff up because we're not getting any real imperatives or guidelines regarding COVID from the federal government. Individual states are making up their own rules, which is a huge contributor to why coronavirus infection rates are surging across the nation. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The most popular state in the country, California, has more lax requirements than the CDC. California residents with confirmed COVID-19 can end their isolation once they have not have a fever without any fever-reducing medication for 24 hours, and other symptoms are improving. So in addition to that, asymptomatic patients don't need to isolate at all. They say masking for 10 days is sufficient. Like I said, California has the highest population in the country and is known for the most part as being a fairly progressive when it comes to COVID. So imagine what some of the other less cautious states are probably doing. So once again, unless you or the people that you care about just want to get sick, we've got to do our part by insisting on everyone being vaccinated. And remember to wear your mask in crowded situations, wash your hands regularly, use plenty of disinfectants. And if you or you have children and you do get sick, stay home until the contagious period passes. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health, that's five days for COVID, four days for the flu, and eight days for RSV from when you notice you have symptoms. No one should end up unnecessarily in the hospital or worse from these preventable diseases. We can and we must do better. We've got a dynamic duo today, so it's just you and me, Norm. Well, Rod, I'm just going to respond to your introduction here. And, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends who were just hospitalized with COVID and uh, uh, several church members. So it's definitely still active in our community. And, you know, I guess worldwide, pretty much, you know, it's still out there. And please do not let the naysayers stop you from wearing a mask and getting the vaccine. Because I can honestly testify for myself that when I got it, it was an half as bad as was for people who were not vaccinated when I was in the hospital. You know, I was blessed and I got out minimal effort. So please take care of yourselves out there. And I also wanted to mention one thing to the three brothers and sisters who were murdered out in Jordan, the soldiers out there. I just wanted to 
to give a, a blessing to them and their families, and we are thinking about them. Rod? So this week, we'll kind of do, I guess, a little bit of a back-and-forth round, Rob, between you and me, Norma, on some different things that have come up, because there's so many different things that we can share. And the first is, as of this particular podcast episode, we just saw the situation with the Baltimore Ravens lose out on the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. And particularly what I just want to mention in this is that I was really pulling for Lamar Jackson in that particular game for a simple reason. I was looking forward to Lamar Jackson being such an unconventional representative of the NFL in the Super Bowl, all the lead up to Super Bowl week, and particularly if they won the game at the big game, that he would have been the person most likely who was going to be going to the Disney World commercial. And so the fact that he did not make it that far, I have to just say I'm a little disappointed. There's a lot about that game that left to be desired, but my real focus for my disappointment is the fact that we won't get to see Lamar Jackson on that big stage. Well, Rod, I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I was pulling for him. You know, he's been an underdog since he's gotten into the league. You know, he was the last draft pick in the first round, and it took a lot of courage for Ozzy to, to move up in the draft, to grab him. The naysayers, you know, they used every excuse, rhyme, or reason not to draft him. And literally, they wanted him to change positions. They wanted him to run the 40 during the combine. You know, he 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 just fought against all the racial stereotypes in regards to playing that position. And yet, you know, he's been two-time MVP. We can we can say that now. And basically, you know, he, he's just gone well above and beyond anything that, you know, they could dream of him becoming. And it's unfortunate that that hasn't translated to his playoff performances and actually championships. But he's young. He's only 26. I was disappointed in that last game. I was disappointed in the offense. I thought that, you know, that was the game that he really had to come out and shine and show everybody his skills and put everything on display. And unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. And, you know, the, the team averaging like 30 points a game only comes up with 10 points. It was really disheartening. But, you know, that's sports. And he's only 26. And we got to wait till next year. Absolutely. So they basically let him down, and, and he did, certainly did not have his best game. But as you said, it's always interesting to me to listen to a number of the pundits and talking heads who are on the sports shows who, whenever they talk about the best quarterbacks in the league, and it's readily acknowledged by everybody that Patrick Mahomes is far and away the best quarterback in the league. But when you talk about a guy who has won two MVPs, the only thing he hasn't done is he hasn't gotten to the Super Bowl yet. So that certainly tells me that he should be the next guy up on that list. But they never mention him. As you said, they continue to not only sort of disrespect him and, and disavow what he's able to accomplish because they want to talk about guys like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and, and Justin Herbert and guys who basically are not nearly as talented as Lamar is, but they effectively don't even get to Lamar until they start talking about almost like the third tier. And it's just another example of the blatant type of racism that we have to experience in sports, particularly when we know that the NFL 
is literally over 60% African-Americans, but yet you get the lack of respect for a guy who's playing the position at the highest level, as you said, going to win his second MVP out of his his career and still younger than some of the other quarterbacks, many of the other quarterbacks that they mentioned ahead of him. So that's just unfortunate, but we'll just keep plugging. And the good news is we will certainly have a brother starting in the Super Bowl. So let's go Mahomes. And I think we should have to acknowledge Brad Holmes, the vice president and GM of the Detroit Lions and the fantastic job he's done over the past three seasons in building that roster and that team that made it to the championship game and really blew a huge opportunity to make the Super Bowl. He was actually honored as the executive of the year of the NFL. So it's nice to see a you know African-American brother get, a, get an opportunity and excel in a league that really has given us very few opportunities in management and coaching. I'm glad you mentioned that, Norm, because one of the things I did note about the Detroit game was the number of times they put up the five players that Detroit drafted who had made a significant impact on this year. They were all starters. And the fact that they put those five players up there, which is basically they were saying it was unheard of, as a team having that kind of success in the draft. And yet, not once was that brother's name mentioned. And if you hadn't told me about that, I wouldn't have even thought about giving it a second thought because until you recognize that you look at the other team and they can't, they couldn't wait to talk about what John Lynch had done as the general manager for the San Francisco 49ers. And obviously, he didn't do nearly as well as this brother who was voted as the executive year for the NFL. But as we said, that's just one more example of how the racism just goes really in your face without anybody calling it out for what it should be. But we'll call it out. Yeah. And, you know, Brad made one other great trade. And and I believe this might go down as that as large as the Herschel Walker trade when he swapped quarterbacks with the Rams and actually got a first round pick and additional picks for that quarterback swap. I think that's going to go down as a huge deal someday. So shifting gears a little bit and going over to the political spectrum, I had an opportunity to watch some of the news shows this weekend. And I've been alarmed particularly by the fact that the quote-unquote mainstream media outlets, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the ABCs, etc., have started to cover the electoral process as if there is a real possibility that 45 could end up in the White House again. I mean, they are literally talking about things like what a second 45 presidency would look like and what would be on his agenda. And as I said, it alarms me because instead of them really continuing to emphasize that he should not have any opportunity to go back into the White House because of what happened on January 6th, it's almost as though they're trying to condition us for the possibility. And I think to any right-thinking person, who looks at the circumstances of what January 6th was, as well as his legal trouble since then, we cannot see a pathway for him to be there. And that should be the what I think is the real focal point of the news coverage. But they're doing this kind of a soft sell backpedal 
that is really starting to raise my antenna because at the end of the day, I'm still perturbed by the fact that they will not call January 6th what it was, which was an attempted coup, an attempt to overthrow the government. You know, I heard one person say, well, we don't want to think of ourselves as a banana boat, third world country where coups can take place. Well, whether you want to think of yourself that way or not, the attempt was made on January 6th. And I thoroughly believe, Norm, that if they would cover it and use the language that people understand, because as I've said many times, I think 60% or more of the country couldn't tell you what insurrection meant if you gave them half the definition. And yet they like to soft pedal this. And, and you know, the pugs themselves have started to say things like, well, it was just more of a protest. And it was more of a people who were, some guy even said it was about them touring the White House. Well, how do you soft sell the fact that law enforcement as well as regular citizens got killed that day? There are people who are still mourning their loved one. And while nobody's really been held totally accountable, you know, sending people to jail for the fact that they were storming it and so forth does not get to the essence of cutting off the head of the snake, which is 45. He was sorely and directly behind it. And yet we just don't get that kind of coverage. It's the same issue I've had with why Merrick Garland didn't push this prosecution process ahead ahead of time rather than sitting back and saying he was waiting until Congress, who has no authority to arrest or to do anything other than issue some sort of censure, it just doesn't make any sense. As I said, my alarms are on high alert. Well, unfortunately, there's really no real news coverage in this country. Most Americans, let's face it, newspapers are gone. No one reads anymore. And we, we can't depend on mainstream media to actually give us any kind of truth or, or information at, that, at this point. And we have this internet and literally this uh, cable news network, and, and they're pretty worthless you know, literally. But my question is, why is only two states, and correct me if I'm wrong here, have taken him off the ballot? That's the real question. We shouldn't have to depend on any other sources other than the, the states that are, are really going to elect this guy. And so far, only two have actually taken him off the ballot. And we're waiting for a Supreme Court decision in regards to those two states. But he shouldn't be on the ballot, period, for any state. So, you know, I, I'm wondering why more states haven't actually taken this up. That's the real question, Rod. And that's a great question because you can start to look at it from a number of angles. And this is what we challenge people to do is to think critically and look at this as a fundamental question about how our elections work. I mean, the short answer is that there is a big divide between when it's a federal election that the federal government claims to have oversight. That's the thing that is in the Supreme Court for the state of Colorado. And I thought it was interesting that Ellie Mistal came out and talked about the fact that normally repugs are always so happy to talk about states' rights. But in this instance, they want the federal government to overthrow the state's right to decide who's going to be on the ballot. And so because it's, quote unquote, a type of constitutional question, that's the first line of defense that they come up with. But as you said, and as 
Ellie Mastow was making a great point that if this is really a democratic republic, meaning a federation of states that have their own rights to govern themselves, then in essence, they ought to have the right to determine whether he's on the ballot or not. But we know the the long form answer is that they really don't want to own up to the fact that they are the groundswell of people who are recognizing that he is unfit and should not be on the ballot. So you got people who don't have any kind of spine, and we're talking about you again, Dems, that instead of you're coming out and making this a, a critical campaign issue, which it should be, you're sitting back with the idea we need to allow the states to make their own decision. We want the people to make their own choices. Well, We've seen what the people will do with their own choices, and that's not a good thing. That's why you're elected to be our representatives and to make the kind of laws that impact us. It's no different than I actually saw a little bit of Meet the Press this past weekend with Kristen Welker, which I'll make sure I don't watch anymore, because she allowed Nikki Haley, Nimrata Haley, to come on the show. And when she asked her repeatedly whether she thought that 45 should be on the ballot, she sidestepped it every way possible. And there was no real follow-up to literally say, well, okay, because what Nimrata kept saying was, well, I think that's up to the people. Now, let's note that this is the person who's actually running against 45 for the Republican nomination. And it should be so simple for her to just simply say, well, no, he doesn't have any business on the ballot. But instead, she kept dancing around the question. And so I was just looking for Kristen Welker to simply say, well, okay, well, if you're going to leave up to the American people, you're part of the American people. Do you believe he should be on the ballot? And so, you know, those kind of things that just just irk me about what we have to watch and call news coverage. Well, you know, it's going to be hard for her to answer that question. And then at the end of end of their campaigning and the end of the process here, become a vice presidential candidate for Trump's ticket, because that's ultimately what you have her and Tim Scott and the other gentleman. That's what they're vying for. They're not, they don't really believe they're going to get the nomination. They simply believe that, you know, when Trump is ultimately, you know, wins the primary, he'll choose one of them. And if he is basically eliminated, you know, it'll probably Nicole Haley to get, to get, get the nod and unfortunately, she she has a good chance of winning, from what I understand, in the general election. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure that 45 would take anybody that he thinks can upstage him. So I don't think any of them really got a good shot at it. But, hey, we'll all have to see. So that's our take on a few topics that we hope you will chew on and turn around and share with your circle of those individuals that you can have good, sound conversations with. In our Black Business Spotlight, meet childhood friends Devante, DJ Jackson, and Derek Mosley, who have teamed up to bring plant-based comfort food to St. Louis with their new venture, Da Vegan Way. The duo combine their shared passion and expertise for cooking to offer locals a menu of familiar dishes with a vegan twist. When the pandemic hit and Jackson faced the job loss, he seized the chance to pursue his lifelong culinary dream. Jackson newly embraced the vegan lifestyle at the time and decided to launch The Vegan Way, where he shares his healthy journey while earning extra income. 
Looking ahead, Jackson and Mosley plan to shift from markets to full-scale catering. Through digital cookbooks and educational content, they aim to encourage those embracing a plant-based lifestyle. Be sure to follow the brand on Instagram at Way LLC. And remember, our ongoing Black Business Spotlight theme is Let's Relaunch Black Wall Street Nationwide. That's a wrap again for this week's show. And remember to follow us and share your thoughts with us by sending your comments as well as your questions and show ideas to The Brothers Talk on X, formerly Twitter, at The Brothers Talk. And catch us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. As always, God willing, we'll continue to keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. And until our next episode, know that we sincerely appreciate your time, your interest, and you can rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And finally, let's all do better today because that's all we really have.